0: Well, hello there, church family. It is once again Wednesday. Uh, today is March the 24th of 2021, and we're continuing our study here in this section uh, in, uh, with the letter uh, pay. Uh, as we look at Psalm 119, 129 through 136, God's word is wonderful. And so let's begin by opening up in a word of prayer. And gracious Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity uh, to, to know who you are, uh, to know you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, and as we uh, learned last week that uh, your your words are wonderful because you are wonderful. Uh, you are excellent in every way and gracious to us as you uh, reveal yourself to us. And Lord, I pray that you would help teach us today and may we be better uh, in relation to how we walk with you today as a result. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin by rereading uh, this section, uh, starting in verse 129. It says, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commands. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Well, today we'll finish out this section uh, as we take a look at verses one thirty-two through the end in uh, verse one thirty-six. But the next four verses are actually clustered together because we find out here that the psalmist puts forth four petitions, uh, starting in verse one thirty-two. And so the first petition is, "Turn to me and be gracious to me." Well, see, the psalmist is calling on God to do the very thing that God does because this is God's way with those who love him, is that he turns towards them, that he sees them as uh, those who belong to him, those that he has bought and paid for with the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. It is those that God loves. As we read in in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. See, there's a special um, relationship that is had here between God and those who belong to him. And that special relationship is based in one of God's attributes, many more, but in relation to the love that he has for us, that he is gracious towards us. Uh, and so we read in 1 John four thirteen. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. See, the psalmist says, Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Well, We know back here at the beginning in in, uh, verse 129, he says, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. See, the psalmist uh, loves God's name, and loving God's name is synonymous uh, with loving God. Because as we look scripturally, the names of God that he reveals to mankind through his written word are all words that describe who he is. That give a greater and, and, and uh, broader depth to our knowledge of who God is as he reveals to us. So to love God's name is to love God. And so what does it mean to love God. Well, loving God means putting him first. As we find in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 36, uh, Jesus was asked uh, the question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, "Uh, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So to love God or to love his name is to put him first. First. So do you love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? Do you put God first when you wake up in the morning? Is God the first thing that you think of when you wake up? Well, see, loving God also means to crave or to thirst for him. Because if you go back to uh, verse 131, he says, I open my mouth and pant. You know, we looked at Psalm 42 last time in relation to the deer panting for water. And so uh, he opens his mouth and pants because he longs for God's word. So loving God means to crave or to thirst for him. In other words, you cannot live without him spiritually. You need God to give you your spiritual food. And therefore you crave and thirst for him just like you crave and thirst for physical food but on such a greater and grander and more satisfying level when it comes to spirituality. And what does it mean to love God and to love his name is to love God is to obey him. John fourteen twenty three says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we'll, we will come to him and make our home with him. So a sign of love for God and a love for his name is that we keep his word, that we obey it uh, and, and do exactly what it says. Um, uh, we know that that was back in verse one, 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. That's obedience in action, showing our love for God because we love God and we love his name. We love everything about God because our spiritual eyes have been open. The result will be as is your way. See, this speaks to who God is and how he treats those that belong to him. Because the psalmist says, you know, in his petition, turn to me and be gracious as is your way. So he is agreeing with how God has revealed himself to the psalmist, and he's calling on God to be exactly who God is. He's not asking God to do something that will belittle him or do something contrary to his nature. He's asking God to do what God does, as is your way with those who love your name. There is a special relationship there. And so this petition to turn to me and be gracious is calling on God to be God. Then in verse 133, we see the second petition because it says there, keep steady my steps according to your promise. The word keep here in Hebrew literally means to appoint so in other words, uh, he is asking uh, God to keep steady or to appoint his steps according to his promise. So the, the psalmist is looking at the word of God. He's looking at God's law. He is looking at God's promises. And he's saying, God, appoint where I need to go to be that lamp unto my feet and that light unto my path, as we saw back in 105. <clears throat> In Psalm 37, 23, and 24, it says that the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. So do you see the tension here? That the, the steps of a man are established by God when he delights in his way. And so there is a, a, a part in which man is, you know, in obedience to, uh, to God's promises and to God's word and God's commands, you know, seeking out and thirsting for, craving for, and living for God in that way. And when we are sensitive to God's will this way, that's when God's God step, uh, takes man's steps and establishes them. He appoints them. He keeps steady uh, the psalmist's steps according to God's word. It reminded me of the song that Rich Mullins wrote, uh, Step by Step. He says, Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways. And step by step, you'll lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. And I will follow you all of my days, and step by step, you'll lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. And what is the result of this petition? Petition. He says, Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. See, he knows what will happen when he falls into sin. Because sin is going to take him off of that established way. That is going to take him outside of what God has appointed. Because he is, you know, putting in place a wedge that will have dominion over him as opposed to calling on God to be the one to appoint his steps according to his promise. And then 134, the third petition. Redeem me from man's oppression. And we've seen this repeated throughout the the whole Psalm 119 where the psalmist realizes the potential negative impact of those who oppress him. Uh, And when we are truthful with ourselves, we realize that uh, when we surround ourselves with a negative impact or things that are not, you know, uh, supportive of living for and walking after God, they do have the ability to oppress us in our spiritual walk it's almost as it's the extent of what junk food can do to our physical bodies is the same as what uh you know not having the spiritual food that we need and replacing it with something that has a negative impact to not remember god's promises to not call on him to appoint my steps to turn me uh, or tor- turn toward me and be gracious to me as is his way See, he asked for God to redeem him out of this oppression so that he may serve and obey God instead. Because notice, he doesn't say, redeem me from man's oppression so that I can go and do what I want to do. He says, redeem me out of man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. So his reason for, for God redeeming him from man's oppression is so that he can serve God that much better. So that he can experience God being faithful in his promises. So that he can know and embrace God's appointing of his steps. And finally, in, in 135, we get the fourth petition. And that is, make your face shine upon me. This is a beautiful picture here. And probably, uh, to some extent, uh, the, the best of the four. Because he says, make your face shine upon me. He's saying, may I bask in your goodness, Lord. May I just, you know, take in and absorb everything that you are so that your face can shine upon me. May I enjoy the fact that you are unlike me and and every other human being in that you are not evil and cannot be tempted by it. That you love righteousness and hate sin. That you are just in all of your ways, that you were kind in all that you do, but especially to me, your servant. That you have a special love for your people, and in particular me, your servant. You continue to show me mercy even when I am unfaithful. See this is what the psalmist is calling on God to do to let his face shine upon his servant to take in the the rays of what God can you know shine in relation to light spiritually um, but also in in showing the psalmist not only who God is but the things that the psalmist needs to change to reveal the things that he may be holding on to that are keeping him from basking in Uh, God's light. And he's he's also confirming uh, one of the things that we read about in the book of James, uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 16, where it says, Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. See, that's the truth that he is basking in. Uh, He is basking in the truth that everything that is good comes down from above. Every perfect gift is from God the Father, the one who does not change. There's no variation or shadow due to change because our God is immutable. He is always 100% truly god and consistent in that for eternity. The result being that as uh, God's face shines upon his servant, that the result would be, teach me your statutes. So once again, he sees the power of the word of God. He sees the love of the word of God lived out as he walks with his God. And finally, he closes out with, with verse 136. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. The word translated streams here comes from a Hebrew word that means a small channel of water as in irrigation. It's the same word that we find in in Psalm chapter 1 verse 3 where it says he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither In all that he does he prospers. So my... My eyes shed streams of water, streams of tears. Well, we know that this is poetic hyperbole. It's not literal. There are not streams of tears coming out of his eyes, like would be enough to uh, make a tree that is planted by those streams to yield its fruit in its season. But I think that the use of this exaggerated language drives the point home of exactly the deep sorrow that he experiences because people do not keep God's law. And it is an affront to him. He takes offense at the fact that people do not keep God's law, that they do not see God's word as wonderful, that they not see the God of that word. Listen to what Spurgeon said. He says, The experience of this verse indicates a great advance upon anything we have had before. The psalm and the psalmist are both growing. That man is a ripe believer who sorrows uh, because of the sins of others. And see, that's what happens. The the more that God's face shines upon us, the more that God redeems us from man's oppression, the more that God uh, appoints our steps according to his promises, the more that he turns towards us and is gracious towards us, as is his way, what it does is it opens up our our spiritual eyes to see a world that does not acknowledge God. And that should bring a deep sorrow to us. It should bring us to tears, uh, not of joy, but tears of, of heartbreak and sorrow because people do not keep God's law. And we are living in a day and age that is not unlike any other day and age from Our history, as we go back even all the way to the beginning, people will continue to not keep God's law. It's likened to the grief that Jesus even had over Jerusalem. Remember back in Luke chapter 19, he says, And when he drew near to the city, what did he do? He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And that's the day and age in which we live as well, because uh, not only does man's sin grieve God, because it is direct rebellion against him and his wonderful word, but we too, as those who live in this day and age, when we see those around us that do not honor God, it should cause us to sorrow. But it should also cause us to call on God in these four petitional ways, to turn to me and be gracious to keep, you know, steady my steps, to redeem me from man's oppression and make your face shine upon me. Let's close on a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for these reminders. We thank you for the heart of the psalmist, as um, Spurgeon pointed out, was growing. uh, Because the more he grew in in relation to you, uh, the more he saw uh, the world through your eyes. And Lord, I pray for that for each one of us today, uh, for each one of our church family, myself included, to be able to see things as you do, first in our own lives individually, but also corporately, but also in our world. Because we want to be grieved by the things that grieve you, and we want to rejoice in the things that glorify you. Lord, give us the ability to discern and to see and to know how to act in such a way that uh, glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church family, remember that God's word is wonderful because God is wonderful. And Lord willing, we'll see you this coming Sunday. Uh, and until then, God bless you and have a great day.